so I gotta be totally honest today. It's a little bit weird sitting on that side of the music portion than being on this side. However, worship team and Nathan, man, y'all sound great. Y'all, you lead well. It was a blessing on my, yeah. Thank them. Hey, so yeah, uh, John mentioned that Pastor Tim's been gone on sabbatical for the last month and, um, you know, obviously he's our leader. We miss him when he's gone and I'm really looking forward to, come, to him coming back next week. But let me tell you something about your staff here at the church. These guys are awesome. They are a blessing to work with and to, and to, and to pray with. And, uh, they think about you. They care about you and our deacons and our, our LMT. Um, uh, we're, we are blessed. We are so blessed here at the point. So I am so glad God lets me even be a part of it. So it, it is a blessing to me. Um, and also I want to say something to you this morning too. Um, I haven't gotten an opportunity to say this, but you know, I took a sabbatical back in May and I can't tell you what a blessing that was to me and to my family and, and just me personally, uh, just, just to kind of unplug and really focus in on some things and, and, and do some intentional praying. I read a bunch of books and I went to a, a conference uh, on worship up in Nashville. And, and even in that, in that, that, that time frame, I had a, a new niece and a new nephew within five days of each other. They, my, my brother and his wife had their first child and then Miles and Andrew had their fourth child. Uh, back during the sabbatical. And then at the end of the sabbatical, my son got sick, was in the hospital for a few days. And it was good to, I mean, he's, he's great now, he's doing good, but it was good to kind of be able to go and spend that time with him and not have to worry about, you know, work and covering bases because it was already covered. So um, God knew what he was doing in that situation. Just I, all that to say, thank you for letting me be able to do that. I know that it put a little extra strain on the other staff and same thing, you know, just because making sure all our bases are covered. And um, I just thank you for letting us do that every every so many years. I know Pastor Tim will probably, probably say the same thing when he gets back, just what a blessing it has been uh, to get to do that. So we believe you know, if we're going to have longevity in this, and as ministers, it's it's a marathon, not a sprint. So it's good for us to take those moments. Jesus himself took moments and unploading so he can be stronger when he came back. So thank you for the opportunity for that. So today, before I get started uh, in my message, I want to give you an apology and a disclaimer. So my stage of life with having a, an eight-year-old, who should be a nine-year-old next Sunday, and a five-year-old, all of my illustrations this morning come from cartoons and from animated stories. So I'm telling you, it's all we watch. That and Little House on the Prairie, that's that's what we're into right now, Amazon Prime. We're in the fifth season. I hated that show when I was a kid. My granny always watched it. I love it now. It is so, you forget how good it was. When you're a kid, you don't know anything, you know. And my, my, and the lucky thing is my daughter, she loves it. So, and there's a lot of good lessons in that show, but really that's, not really an endorsement of Little House, though, though it is on Amazon Prime all nine seasons. So if you're not a Disney or VeggieTales fan, though, this might be a long morning for you, okay? <laughs> In 1952, Disney released the animated short film called Lambert the Sheepish Lion. Anybody familiar with that? Yeah, it's such a good one. It's only an eight-minute long little film, but it's a great reminder that it's not a bad thing to be different from everybody else. So here's the plot, and it, this is a definitely spoiler alert if you've never seen it. I think it's still on Netflix. You can go watch it. But anyway, I'm, I'm going to spoil it for you right now. So one night in a green meadow full of sheep, the storks come to visit, and they're delivering little baby lambs to all the mama sheep. And every sheep gets a baby except one, and she is so sad, as you can see on the screen there. 
One of the storks realizes that, that she's been left out, and he begins to check his delivery log, and lo and behold, there is one more package. But it's been incorrectly sorted. It's not a lamb, but a lamb bird, a baby lion that was supposed to go to Africa. Now, at this point, the remaining mama sheep, she doesn't care. She insists on taking this golden, woolless lamb and raise him as her own. The stork relents in his protest of, of a mistaken delivery, and he lets her keep Lambert, the lion cub. That's a pretty tough, pretty tough childhood for Lambert. You know, he can't buy, he can't butt, he can't grow wool, he's not a very good grazer. Quite honestly, he's a failure of a sheep. He really is. And his peers let him know that frequently. They even write a song. Lambert, the sheepish lion, Lambert is always trying to be a wild and woolly sheep. Then they go and they, they list out all the reasons as to why Lambert is a terrible sheep. Right? He is the butt of all their jokes. You see what I did in there? In the sheep butt? Yeah. So Lambert grows up. And his mama is so proud of him. She's got the biggest lamb in all the meadow. And she also has the biggest scaredy cat. So one night, while all the sheep are asleep, Lambert is startled awake by a terrifying sound. Oh, 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 you guessed it. Not that far away, there is a hungry wolf with his gaze set upon the sleeping sheep herd. Next thing you know, the wolf is upon them, and he goes after Lambert's mama. Oh, no. What's Lambert going to do? A sheep is powerless against a mean, hungry wolf. So as the wolf begins to drag away uh, Lambert's mama, she cries, Lambert, Lambert. Just like that. It's in the cartoon, I promise. That's a quote. Something inside Lambert snaps. And he stops being a pitiful, awkward, giant sheep and instantly transforms into a ferocious, roaring lion that he should have been all along. He chases down the wolf and he rescues his mama. And I know it looks like in the picture there that he's about to eat the wolf, but he actually winds up butting him off the side of the cliff with his head. So he's got a little sheepish side, sheepish side still in him. Uh, so the film ends with Lambert being carried off on the shoulders of his fellow sheep, being celebrated as their fierce protector. Lambert finally found his true identity as a brave lion instead of being a sad, mediocre sheep. Has there ever been a time in history when a person's identity has been questioned more than the day and age we live in? We see it in terms of politics and gender, religion, age, race, social status, education level, sexual orientation, real life versus social media, you name it. There's even an entire industry that's de dedicated to protecting us from identity theft. It is exhausting. But what does the Bible say about our identity? Who are we? What's our purpose? What's our worth? I want to dive into that for a little bit this morning and unpack exactly who God says that we are. If we can base our identity more on God's definition than we do on the definition that society places on us, I think we'll find ourselves more settled, more at peace, and more, more fulfilled. So God has made you like you are for a reason. Let's look in Psalm 139. 
King David writes, For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. Your eyes saw my unformed substance. In your book were written, every one of them, the days that were formed for me, when as yet there was none of them. To quote the great theologian, Bob the Tomato, God made you special, and He loves you very much. (laughs) The reason you have value is because of what God says about you, not because of what other people say about you. Many people lack self-esteem. They don't feel good about themselves, and it shows because they're always trying to pump themselves up by the kind of clothes they wear, the kind of car they drive, their careers, their education, what they look like, and, and even the things they say about themselves. And they're constantly striving to feel better about themselves because they really don't accept who they are, which is essentially rebellion against God. Look at verse 13 again. He says, For you form my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. Deep down inside, we know there is something more than just existing. If God wanted you to be somebody else, you wouldn't exist. But God wanted you. He wanted you to be you. Verse 15 talks about how we are intricately intricately woven. And the psalmist goes on to declare that our days are written out, each one of them. God doesn't make mistakes. Everything he does is based on a plan and on a design. Not only did God make us, but he has prepared us to do good works. Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10. It'll be on the screen. The Apostle Paul writes, We are his workmanship or masterpiece created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the New Testament is originally written in Greek, right? So the Greek word for workmanship or masterpiece is poema. It's where we derive our word poem from. So God says that you are my poem. You are my masterpiece. And I don't want you copying somebody else. I put specific gifts in you. I've given you your heart your abilities, your personality, and your experiences, and I want you to use them. You have worth because of what God says about you and has done for you. And God's given you those special skills and personality traits for you to fulfill, again, those good works that he prepared for you even before you were born. Now, there are no little people in the family of God. It's not like it's not like there are this special superstar status for people that are that can speak well and sing well, and everybody else is supposed to play supporting roles and be the audience and the fans. That's not God's economy. That's something that man has imposed on 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 Christianity. You have a unique purpose, but if you're always worrying about what everybody else can or can't do, or what they have and you don't. Or if you're always comparing yourself to others or trying to be just like other people, you'll miss that purpose. I want you to watch the screen, watch this little video, and see what I'm talking about.
the farmer one day found an eaglet's egg and he picked it up and, and took it over to the hen house and put it under one of his hens. And when all the eggs were hatched, the little eagle was hatched with all the other little chickens. And of course, immediately the mother hen begins to rear her chicks as she often does. And the little eagle was treated exactly the same. And as he continued to grow, he assumed he was just a part of the family. He was another chicken among chickens. And so he began to learn the things that all little chickens learned, to go around the barnyard and peck for worms. And, and then when it came to flying, learned to fly maybe a few feet, first at very awkward, and then he got pretty good at flying only a few feet at a time. And this is the way he continued to live, just following the, the role of all the other chickens. And then one day, when he was much older, he looked up in the sky and he saw a beautiful, majestic bird riding on the, on the winds. And he turned to one of his friends and he said, who is that? Or what is that? And his friend said, oh, he said, that's, that's an eagle. They're birds of the sky. He said, we're chickens and we're birds of the ground. After the old eagle heard his friend tell him that that was a bird of the sky and he was a bird of the ground, there was a part of him that had been caught in that moment of seeing that bird in the sky that ignited a longing in himself to fly a few feet, to eat worms. The worms had never satisfied his hunger and the flying never seemed to be enough. And he suddenly realized that he was facing a decision in his life. And that decision really was, do I continue to go on with life as I've always lived it, or do I do whatever it takes to fly like that bird? And so he began to ponder that, and he made a decision. He would rather try to fly like that bird than to simply accept the way he had been living. And so that's the decision he made, to fly. And his life was changed forever. When you know what you're shaped to be, then you know what you ought to be. And then you can start focusing on that and make better use of your life. The moment you step across the line spiritually and become a follower of Jesus Christ, you say, I'm going to go God's way, not my own way. I'm going to let Him direct my life. I want to follow God's purpose, not my own purpose. I'm going to do what I was uniquely wired and made to do. That's how the Apostle Paul puts it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and it was our memory verse for today. He says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All of this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ, God making his appeal through us. We implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake he made him to be sin, who knew no sin, so that in him we might become 
the righteousness of God. Did you catch that? When we come to Christ, we are transformed into a new creation. All the old way of thinking and doing is passed away. We are becoming something new, something fresh. And He is then equipping us for a ministry of sharing the gospel. We are now ambassadors for Christ. And we are spreading a message of reconciliation. God reconciling Himself to man through Jesus Christ. And He says that Jesus did that by taking our sins on Himself. He died on the cross to pay the penalty for sins so we didn't have to. And through Christ, we have the opportunity to become the righteousness of God. How's that for an identity? Amen? So how exactly are we ambassadors for Christ spreading the ministry of reconciliation? I'm glad you asked. And here's the answer. It looks different for everybody. It all depends on how God wired you from the beginning and then what He does in you through salvation and sanctification, which is a Bible word for becoming more holy and more like God as, as we grow in our faith. So He gives us each specific gifts to function in the body of Christ to fulfill His purpose. You're not just wanted. You're needed. Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all and everyone. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. To another, the utterance of knowledge according to the same Spirit. To another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. To another, the working of miracles. To another, prophecy. To another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. To another, various kinds of tongues or languages. To another, the interpretation of tongues or languages. All these are empowered by one and the same Spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills. And he goes on to say, For just as the body is one and has many members... And all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. And he gives a better explanation of this than I ever could, so listen closely. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? If the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. 
and our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. I've experienced that. And if one member is honored, all rejoice together. I've experienced that too. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Y'all, you are needed. You're needed in your church. You're needed in your family. You're needed in your class, on your team. You're needed in this world. If you weren't needed, God would not have made you. He brought you here to make a contribution with your life because every person, every life is precious and everyone is needed. And Paul, he makes his point so well there in that passage. It's not right to be jealous of someone else's gift. It's not right to feel inferior. We all have function and purpose. And it's nearly not all about us. You know, we're made and positioned to fill God's plan for the church for reaching a lost world. We're needed in this body, the point church, the way we all individually function together is this one body. It is a beautiful picture. And Paul's so right to make it look like a body because it's the same way for us. We're all so different. I'm so glad I'm not like Tim or not like John, not like Jacob, not like Nathan, that we're all functioning together. Do you know how boring it would be if we were all the same? It's called Stepford Wives. Now, that one is not a cartoon or a... I don't know how appropriate that movie is, but I'm just saying we're not all the same. We're different. (laughs) We're needed. We're needed in this body together. And in turn, God gifts other people with specific gifts that helps us. It's a beautiful thing. Some of us today are mighty lions moping around because we can't buy like a sheep when we ought to be roaring like the king of beasts. Some of us are eagles with talons and seven-foot wingspans pecking around the chicken coop when you ought to be soaring through the air. You've let anxiety and fear hold you back from serving the Lord to your full capacity. You've let the words of a parent or a sibling or a teacher paralyze you because you believe some garbage about how useless you are. You set way too long letting Satan convince you that you'll never be spiritually strong enough to overcome an addiction or, or just live a good Christian life, so why try? And I'm here to tell you today that you are fearfully and wonderfully made You are God's masterpiece, his workmanship, his poem, prepared to do good works that he set in place before you were even born. If you're in Christ, you are a new creation. All that old stuff has passed away. It's gone. You are new. You are transformed. And now you have a ministry of reconciliation to spread the gospel. And not only do you have a ministry, but God has given you specific spiritual gifts to help you do that. You are meant to help others with those gifts. And he's given gifts to other people in the body of Christ so that they too can help you along. So stop comparing yourselves to other people. 
Comparison is the thief of joy. Let me say that again because I don't think you heard it. Comparison is the thief of joy. I didn't make that up. Somebody else did. I don't know who did said it, but it's true. Comparison is the thief of joy. Stop believing the lies of the enemy. If you're here today and you're not a believer in Christ, to quote Bob the Tomato again from Veggie Tales, God really did make you special. And He loves you very much. He made you for a purpose. And it's something that nobody else in the world can do. But until you come to Christ and surrender your life to Him, you'll never realize that full potential in the kingdom of God. One of my favorite quotes from a pastor I like to listen to, Matt Chandler, he says this, it's okay to not be okay. It's just not okay to stay that way. So a couple weeks ago on a Monday, I got a phone call, uh, first thing Monday morning, from a friend of mine up in North Alabama who is a worship pastor. Uh, He and I went to college together 20 years ago, um, and God has blessed him to be in a thriving ministry up, up close to where we grew up. And uh, it's a church of a couple of thousand. He's got a giant choir band. It's a ministry. That, I mean, they they start on the campus, and it's already it's it's huge. I mean, they're just they're just blowing and going, and God's blessing them. And he'll call me periodically and share with me, "Hey, this is what God did this weekend." They have a they have recovery ministries. They have all kinds of things, and that they do, and it really is an exciting uh, season for that ministry up there. And he's been there as the full time worship pastor for about seven years. And he was part time for a couple years before that, but uh, he he frequently calls me. And typically, when he calls, you know, he's telling me about some event they had where a lot of people come to Christ, or you know, something where his his ministry, you know, he he grows his choir, you know, and that kind of stuff. And I think, yeah, honestly, sometimes I, I can hear it, and it's like, man, that's great. You know, it kind of makes can make me feel kind of, you know, because and it, all based on silly. It's silly. It's just silly, but. So he called me Monday morning, and I was fully prepared to get a report about something great that God was doing in his ministry. And um, he called, and he said, hey, I want to, I wanna, he always says, he's like, I'm going to call and brag on God. So he said, hey, I'm going to call you to brag on God. I said, okay, goodness, let's, what you got? Uh, so he said, well, before I tell you the story, I need to give you a little bit of the backstory about what happened a few weeks before, then I'll tell you what God did this past Sunday. I said, okay. So... He said his mom called him a couple of weeks before that and said, hey, we're cleaning out some stuff out of your dad's office. His dad is a retired pastor as well. And he said, uh, she said, we found this. I don't remember if he said it was a notebook or if it was an old Bible. But anyway, his dad had written down some notes about the night that my friend had gotten saved. Some details about, you know, who was preaching and, and, uh, uh, you know, the time and date, that kind of thing, some, and some details about the night. So he was like, you know, I was kind of excited about that. I was, you know, I, I wanted to go get that from her, keep that just as a, you know, keepsake for my kids or whatever. He said, and I really was thinking, you know, what would I feel when I saw that? You know, he was expecting to have this, you know, flow of emotion or really get a blessing out or whatever. So he, go, he said, I go and I pick that up. He said, and when I get it and look at it, he said, I didn't feel anything. I just was just kind of numb. And he said, it kind of bothered me a little bit, but I, you know, I, he said, just figure I'm busy. Life's busy. You know, he's in a fast paced ministry. And so he just didn't think much, much about it. So that next Sunday, 
uh, they go to church, and he said, you know, for some reason our pastor decided that we we, we were going to have communion on Sunday morning. He said our church has gotten to a size where it's kind of logistically difficult to do communion on Sunday morning. We usually do it on Sunday night or another time. He said, but this week he decided we'd do it on Sunday morning. You know, we'll just make it work however we make it work. So uh, they're taking communion, kind of like we're going to do in a couple weeks here. He said, and the pastor got to the portion of communion where uh, – he was telling me, everybody needs to bow your head, examine your heart, do some spiritual inventory, see where you are. And he said, man, the Holy Spirit spoke to me in that moment, and I just knew I wasn't saved. Now, this guy has been a full-time worship pastor for seven years. He's gone on mission trips. He himself has led people to the Lord. And he's sitting there in this worship service, and, he's, and he said, the devil starts telling me, man, if you go up there, you're, you know, you're, you're going to be... You're going to be embarrassed. They're going to, they're going to think you're a fraud. You know, you, you may even lose your job, which could have happened. I mean, you know, it's, he's, he's, there's a lot of things that, 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 that were, you know, stressful for him. He's like, you know what? He looked over his wife and he said, they were sitting together in the chairs. He said, I, I'm not saved. And she said, I'm sorry. I don't think I heard you right. Did you just say you're not saved? He said, that's exactly what I just said. And he went down to the altar and bowed and got saved in that Sunday morning service and got up and gave his testimony to the congregation. We're talking a couple thousand people. And he said, you know, I, I've just, not necessarily intentionally, I've just been living a lie. The, the Spirit of God has not been in me. So he he got saved. And from that testimony, four more people got saved that morning because they were had, they had the same testimony. You know, they said a prayer when they were a kid or didn't fully understand it or whatever, but the Holy Spirit had been dealing with them, but they had risen to a place of leadership in the church. And that's embarrassing to say, you know, I, I teach a Sunday school class, but I'm not saved. And it just, it just weighed on them. And they, that his, his bravery or the Holy Spirit breaking him or whatever caused them to come down and, and to, and to, and to give their life to Christ. And he told me he's got phone calls and I don't even know how many people so far have, have, have quit fighting and just, just went and, and, and became a Christian Quit thinking about what, what people are going to think about him. They just did that out of his testimony. Now, I told him, man, that is so amazing because you would have been completely justified in man's eyes to continue this giant ministry God's let you have a part, a part of leading. You could have, for the next, you know, he's in his early 40s like I am, so, you know, at 20 years or so left of doing this at, at you know, a pretty good level of musically and stuff. And... I said, you could have retired with your reputation intact. Nobody would have ever known but you and God. But if you would have died in that moment, in any, any, any moment in that time, you would go straight to hell. And I said, and you, you just didn't care about any of the circumstances. You just finally let go and let God do something amazing in your life. I don't know if that's you this morning. But let me say something, then I will get back to my outline, wrap this thing up. If that's you today, there's not a soul in this room that's going to be like, I can't believe this is some kind of scam. This guy's been teaching me Sunday school for 20 years. Now he comes down to get saved. I mean, nobody's going to say that. We're going to rejoice with you, just like the angels in heaven will be rejoicing that a sinner has passed from death to life and not worry about, I mean, son, it's cool. <laughs> it's funny. My buddy's like, he went to his pastor after it happened. He said, hey, you know, do I even have a job? He's like, man, don't worry about that. He said, I, 
I'm excited to see what you can do now that you're actually saved. You know, because of the way the ministry. And he's like, you know, I don't know how that worked out. I hadn't talked to him in a couple of weeks. But, you know, don't let the enemy lie to you and, t- and, and let your pride take you to hell. I ain't trying to scare nobody this morning. I'm not trying to talk anybody out of your salvation. Hey, that, that, he called me the, the more, the sun, the Monday morning after Dr. Brian Nall preached on hell here. So I'm driving, driving down the road that morning going, God, is that me? Am I, you know, am I, am I like that too? You know, cause the guy's preaching on hell the day before and then we got, you know, you just, I think it's good. I think it's healthy to examine yourself. It really is. What is your identity? Are you in Christ or are you a good Southern Republican Baptist? I know that's funny, but there's a difference. There's a difference. We can say all the right things, look the right way, and have a great reputation in the community and not go to heaven when we die. The Bible says it. Is it Matthew 28? I think it's 28. Maybe I forget forget the the passage now where where Jesus said, you know, they they said to him, you know, hey, have we not cast out demons in your name? Have we not done all these things in your name? And he says, I don't know you can lead a great choir and God not know you. That's scary. If you're not a believer today, my prayer is definitely that you would know Him as your Lord and Savior and that you would spend your life figuring out what the gifts are that He's given you and then serve Him in that purpose. Go be a brave lion. If you're living like a sheep, God made you a lion, go be a lion. If you're living like a chicken, God made you an eagle, go be an eagle. You find your identity in Christ Jesus, our Lord. You won't have the anxiety and the stress of wondering what's, what's this all about. Find your identity in Christ. Let's pray together.